in our uh, sermons over the past several weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis. Genesis is the, the first book of the, the Bible, and we believe it's not myth, it's actually truth. It's a historical account of uh, written by a man named Moses to God's people to communicate to them uh, who God is, what is true in the world, and uh, how we're to live in it, um, what's our, our purpose here. And uh, last week, uh, what we, we saw as we were in chapter 3 was uh, why the, the good uh, experience that Adam and Eve had in the garden, a place where they experienced safety and love and care, relationship with God was unbroken, uh, they interacted with one another without, without shame. Uh, we talked about our experience doesn't match up with that. Why is the world like it is? And we saw last week in Genesis why, uh, due to sin entering into the world and Adam and Eve's rebellion, what we're experiencing. Um, uh, but think about, as we saw, Adam and Eve were, were kicked out of the garden. Um, part of it was God to, to protect them, as we saw, if they were to eat from the tree of uh, life. They didn't, God did not want them to live forever in their, their state of, uh, of, of rebellion and, um, and, and punishment. Uh, but think about Adam and Eve, what their experience was like after that. Here they've experienced the beauty of the garden. Now due to their sin, they're, they're kicked out. And so they've, they're walking out east of the Garden of Eden. Maybe they sit on a, a hill just outside in their skins that the Lord has provided clothing for them. And they're looking back towards the beauty of the garden. What do you think that the longings in their heart would have been like? The questions. Missing what had gone on there. Thinking, man, I sure wish we were back there. I wish we were back in the garden. Look at this land around us. There are no trees that are delightful to the eyes, that are good for food. Now I'm going to have to work and labor hard. Not that Adam wasn't working in the garden, but now it's going to be hard with tears and sweat. Eve, thinking about that call that God had given her to... And, and Adam to multiply. And now childbearing and, and raising children is going to come with difficulty and pain. Maybe they start to blame each other again as the conflict that they had there before the Lord. It's like, man, I wish you wouldn't have eaten that food. And he's like, well, where were you the whole time? Why didn't you keep the, the serpent out of the garden to begin with, Adam? And they look around at their experience, the longings in their heart of what they had known, safety, uh, relationships of love and care and provision, Adam and Eve always looking out for one another's, other, the other person's best interest, not their own. And now they look at the world around them, the hurt, the pain, uh, the heartache, the shame they have in their own hearts. And the question on their mind would have been, now what? Now what? How do we live in a world Ravaged by sin. How do we live in relationships when our hearts are prone to hurt and wound and flee from God? Uh, we'll see as we look in chapter 4 this morning. I think it will pro- help provide for us some guidance. Because remember, as, as Moses is writing to Israel, 
They would have had some of the same questions as they were leaving Egypt. How do we live in this world? Look at all that we've experienced. Now God is on the scene. What does it look like to live in a relationship with him in the context of this broken and messed up world? And in fact, as we, as we read through chapter 4, you're going to notice uh, some, uh, some comparisons and, and some of the, uh, the words and the conversations that happen in chapter 4. They're going to be very similar to the conversations that have, they had in chapter 3. What Moses is doing is he's wanting us to compare and look at those two to see, all right, just what Adam and Eve experienced, that's now our experience too. Now what? How do we live? How do we carry on life in this world? So if you would, let's look in chapter 4 of the book of Genesis. If you're following along in one of those Bibles there in front of you, um, I believe this week you'll find it on page 3. And follow, uh, follow along with me as I read from chapter 4 of Genesis. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to Yahweh an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And Yahweh had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then Yahweh said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And Yahweh said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to Yahweh, My punishment's greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then Yahweh said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And Yahweh put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of Yahweh and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Adah. The name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. Uh, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. 
For he, he was the forger of all the instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naama. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zilhah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of Yahweh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have uh, revealed yourself to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that this morning you would apply your word to our hearts. Guide us that we might know how do we live in this world in brokenness and sin and in our own struggles with temptation. Uh, Jesus, would you be glorified, we pray. Uh, Amen. account begins with letting us know of uh, Adam and Eve having some some children. Cain and Abel were born to them. And I don't know if you noticed here at the at the beginning it tells us, you know, that Abel was a, a keeper of sheep and Cain was the worker of of the ground and they bring some offerings to to God. Uh, Cain being a worker of the ground brings to God some uh some of the produce from the ground, what he's what he's raised, and, and Abel brings one of the uh, the firstborn of his of his livestock to to the Lord. But notice the what God's response to their offerings, what what it is. In verse uh, verse four, it says, "And Yahweh had regard for Abel and his offering." But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, why? Why was it that as the Lord looked upon Cain and his offering, as he looked upon Abel and his offering, he had regard or favor or he was pleased with Abel and his offering, but not so for Cain? Was it something about the offering itself? Does it, you know, is God not like vegetables? Is he only a meat eater? Uh, what What's the deal? Well, actually, remember what we're looking at and trying to understand this. Remember, Moses is writing this to the people of Israel who are in Egypt. They're getting re- they've either just left Egypt or are getting ready to. He's writing to them about who this God is that follows them. And part of what Moses communicates to Israel is how they're to, to worship and, and interact and respond to God. And actually, both of these offerings are something that, according to what God tells His people, are appropriate for God's people to bring to Him. These are offerings. This isn't necessarily looking at at sacrifice, uh, but they're bringing uh, offerings of thanksgiving and fellowship to God. So, uh, Cain's offering, if we're just looking at the the letter of the law externally, was, was appropriate for him to bring in response and thanksgiving his offering of the produce of the ground to God. The same thing would have been true for for Abel. But why then, why then was God not, did he not have regard or favor Cain's 
offering? Why did he favor Abel's? A couple of uh, Christmases ago, we got some stocking stuffers for our nephews. And they were uh, some jelly beans uh, called beaned, bean-boozled jelly beans. And kids, if you look in your, uh, in your worship bag, you will find uh, some jelly beans uh, there for you from this bean-boozled bag. Um, uh, if you, I don't, are they all, the beans in your bag, are they all the same color? Who likes jelly beans? You like jelly beans, Piper? Yummy. Oh, Freddie likes jelly beans too. Maybe you can get some afterwards, Freddie. Uh, so you look at you look at those jelly beans, and if you like jelly beans, on first look, all of those look like very good, acceptable jelly beans. Jelly beans that you would regard highly and you would very much like to eat and take a bite of. Uh, the interesting thing, though, about these jelly beans, these bean-boozled jelly beans, is, uh, for instance, who's got uh, the light green-colored jelly beans in their bag? Ah, Mr. Panic. So, uh, what you're going to find out is if, if you decide to take a bite of your jelly beans is that some of those will taste like lime. Although both of them are green, some of them will taste like lime when you eat them, which may be something that you would like. The other ones, though, however, are going to taste like lawn clippings, cut grass. Although they look the same on the outside, and you might think that they're both going to be equally enjoyable, and yet you will like them. You're going to be sadly mistaken with some of them. Others of you, you may find uh, yours could either taste like tutti frutti or stinky socks. Some of them, buttered popcorn. Those of you who have, have the yellow ones, buttered popcorn or rotten eggs. I'll just go through some of the other ones just so you have an idea. Pe- peach or barf. Juicy pear or booger. Coconut or baby wipes. Toothpaste or berry blue. Chocolate pudding or canned dog food. Caramel corn or moldy cheese, licorice or skunk spray. Let me taste one of yours. I'll I'll, I'll go in first and see what we're what we're gonna get. Think it'll be favor, favorable? Will I have high regard for this bean? That one is lime. So. Similar to what's going on here with Cain and, and Abel. Although both externally, these offerings that they're bringing look acceptable, from the outside they may appear that way. But God will not be being boozled by Cain and Abel's offerings. He knows something more that's going on. You see, God isn't just concerned with the external that's happening. Although we could be very much fooled, believe me, we sat around all Christmas morning trying every single one of these out, and some of them are disgusting. But on the outside, they both look the same. You see, God is looking more than just at the externals. Externals aren't enough. And what we'll see as we go through here 
There's more that's going on. It's issues of the heart. Although Cain brought externally a favorable offering, God knew that, well, it probably tasted more like stinky socks than tutti-frutti at the core. What does that mean for us? God's not impressed with just the externals. That means that you can go to church. You can pray. You can give your money. You can share your toys. You can say you're sorry. You can smile and say kind words. You can serve others. You cannot steal. You cannot kill. You cannot lie. Uh... You can uh, invest your money well and be a good steward. You can have well-behaved kids. Kids, you can obey your parents. Um, You can eat all your dinner. You can go to bed on time and not call out for them over and over and over again. You can dress really sharp and, and, and nice. Your hair can be all just perfect and your makeup right. Your body is in peak physical condition. You can help the poor, you can feed the hungry, you can vote a certain way, you can be a good Christian, whatever that may mean. You can read the Bible, you can memorize verses, and you can know a lot of theology, and God will be impressed zero. You can do all of those things externally well, and over and over and over again, and God will not be pleased at all. Externals, stuff on just the outside are not enough. You will not bean-boozle God with your external jelly bean coating of your good moral life and think you'll be able to sneak by those things with Him when your heart is far from Him. How do, now what? How do we live in this world in light of sin and it's brokenness and corruption in our own hearts and lives. This is the first part of it. Externals are not enough. If we are going to live appropriately and rightly in this world that's been affected by sin, external things will not be enough. What then? What, what is needed? If externals aren't enough, what do we do? How do we move forward? Apparently there is a way. Notice what God says to to Cain just after this in verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? What does it mean to do well? Uh, When we lived up in Virginia, uh, our backyard, um, in fact, our whole neighborhood had a, a, a slight vegetation problem. It goes by the name of poison ivy. There was tons of poison ivy in everybody's backyard because prior to being a neighborhood, it was a forest, and they took down the trees and left the poison ivy. So I would go out in my yard trying to keep it clean, and one, one summer I sprayed the entire backyard with Roundup, thinking I'm going to put an all-out assault on the poison ivy. And I killed it all. It was gone. I took care of the poison ivy. On to my next project, burying of the downspout so that we didn't have mud puddles all in our yard all the time. 
So I got a big trencher and I dug a trench through the back of our yard. And I got down because, you know, the trencher throws all the dirt in there. And so I scooped in with my my arms to pull the dirt out so that we could get the pipe laid down nice and clean. And I got the pipe in there after my neighbor helped me, which is another story for another day. But a couple days later, my arms started itching horribly. They began to swell up. Not quite like Popeye, but it was bad. And I had red blisters all over my forearms and my arms. Why? Poison ivy. I took care externally of the poison ivy on the top, but in order to deal with it all, I had to go to deep into the ground, to the root of it, to the heart of it. What we're going to see here is what does it look like to if you do well? How do we live in this broken world? If externals aren't enough, if we can't just try to deal with keeping the poison ivy from showing up and not pleasing God, what does it look like to go deeper, to go to the root and take care of those things? Well, let's look and see. The internal stuff has to be addressed. It's got to be dealt with. Or you're still going to have poison ivy. You're still going to have struggles. Notice, uh, the first thing that we're going to see is how do we go about living well in ad- addressing the in- internals. The first part is, is uh, listening to the word of God. Notice that in verse 5, Cain's response. So because, in light of the fact that God had regard for Abel and his offering, but not for Cain and his offering... In verse 5, the second part of it, it says, So Cain was very angry and his face fell. In light of what's going on, Cain gets really ticked off. How come my offering and me personally were not regarded well, looked upon in favor by God? And Cain gets, gets angry. So, so much so it's visible on his face and his body. And God, God pursues Cain in his anger. Cain hasn't killed Abel yet. The anger is swelling, it's boiling, because who's Cain angry at? He's angry at Abel. You know why mine wasn't accepted? It must be Abel's fault. Instead of looking to himself, he starts blaming Abel. We've seen this before, right? That's what Adam and Eve were doing as well. But God pursues Cain in the midst of this temptation prior to him killing Abel. And listen to what God says. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God is pursuing Cain in the midst of this temptation. That's something that we're seeing. We're not left alone in our struggles in this world. God comes to us in the middle of our struggles, in the middle of our temptation. He speaks to Cain. Look what he's inviting him to do as God is speaking his word to Cain. Why are you angry? Look into your heart, Cain. Figure out what is going on. Don't be concerned with focusing on the externals. If you want to get to the heart of this, you're going to have to look inside and understand what are your struggles about? Why are you angry? God is inviting Cain to go deeper, to look into his heart and realize 
the source of his own anger and his struggles. But, let's, but God also gives Ang, Cain a word of hope. Look at in 7. This is how we even started this section of the sermon. If you do well, will you not be accepted? There is hope for you, Cain. There is hope. There is hope for you to be accepted, to be forgiven, to be regarded with favor. But how does Cain respond to this offer of hope? We'll see that. But God also gives to Cain this word of warning. Look, Cain, if you don't do well, don't you realize in verse 7, sin is crouching at the door. It is out there. It is active. It's crouching, ready to attack and devour you. And God gives Cain instruction. The solution, though, Cain, is that you must rule over it. It is going to be a battle. God pursues Cain. Cain is, needs to respond well, to, to respond to God's word, God's word that invites us to engage and to look in our hearts. Remember, we, we've seen this in our worship as God invites us to do this. Uh, so part of this aspect of not just focusing on the externals, but looking at the internals involves us responding appropriately to God's word and his pursuit to us in the midst of temptation and realizing that what God is calling us to is to battle sin. The response isn't just to sit around and say, well, you know who's in control here? We confessed it this morning. It's all foreordained by God. So you know what? God, I'm just going to sit here, and until you are happy and pleased to deliver me from this temptation, then uh, I guess I'm just going to be stuck in my, in my sin ways. No. No. That's not the way it works. What does God tell Cain? Sin is crouching. It is going to devour you. You must rule over it. In my strength and in my power, we will see. But the call is a battle to look into your own heart, to see where the struggle is, and to fight against it. We must listen and appropriately respond to God's Word if the internals are going to be addressed. But also, we need to respond to God's grace. Look in verses 9 and, and, and following. After Cain, we see he doesn't listen to God's Word. He goes ahead and he kills Abel anyway. He doesn't look at his own heart. He doesn't battle and resist sin and fight it in the, the strength of the Lord. But he kills his brother Abel. But look what, how God responds. God, again, just as he came to Adam and Eve. Yahweh comes to Cain. Where is Abel, your brother? How does Cain respond? He, he rejects God's grace in that invitation. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. What, why are you asking me? Am I supposed to be my brother's keeper? And God continues to talk to him. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you're cursed as God gives them these fatherly consequences. From the ground which has been opened, its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, you should no longer yield its strength. You'll be a fugitive on the earth and a wanderer. Cain, though, instead of responding to God's grace, when God comes to him and invites him to confess his sin, to deal with it, Cain responds by complaining. You've given me more than I can bear. I can't handle this. Your, your, your punishment is too great. Uh, Cain goes on. He's like, what's going to happen if I go out here and somebody tries to kill me? Are you kidding me, Cain? What did you deserve for taking your brother's life? 
You were so free to go and take his life, yet now you respond and you're concerned about losing your own? God has been incredibly gracious to Cain in response to his sin of pursuing him like this. Yet Cain does not respond appropriately to God's grace. And in fact, as he goes on, the Lord continues to extend grace to Cain. How does God respond to Cain's complaint? He's like, look, I'll put a mark on you. I'll make sure that no one kills you and avenges you like this. And how does Cain respond? Do you notice? In verse 16, Then Cain went away from the presence of Yahweh. Instead of responding appropriately to God's grace, first listening to His Word, looking to God and His grace and His mercy, responding in this call to confess your sin and bring it before the Lord, Cain complains. He doesn't want to deal with it. He doesn't want to look at his heart. He doesn't want to address what's going on. And ultimately, his response is that he flees from the presence of the Lord. That's the the last aspect of, of what we're seeing here as far as how the internals are addressed. Instead of like Cain fleeing from the presence of the Lord, the only way you will be able to deal with the internal struggles and issues of your sin is that you flee to the presence of the Lord. Unlike Cain, we need to listen to God's word. We need to respond to God's grace. And we need to flee to the presence of the Lord who will work and help us to deal with our sin. Cain responds completely in the opposite way in each of these. Now what? Now how do we live in this world where sin plagues our lives, our hearts, our families, everything? What you're seeing in Cain is how not to do it. Remember, uh, as we've seen here over and over again, God pursues his people. God enters into their brokenness and their hurt, calling them to lives of faithfulness in light of his forgiveness and his pursuit. And Cain goes the other way. What about you and me? What about areas in your life and in your heart? Where are you and I ignoring God's word? In the midst of the temptations and the struggles that you're facing right now. In fact, there may be things even in the back of your mind that you're, you're anticipating a struggle when you get home. Be it on the computer or a conversation, an argument that has just been festering under the surface for the past weekend. You've been biting your tongue up to this point, but who knows what's going to happen and what's going to set your anger off. And here God is is inviting you and asking you to look into your heart. Why are you angry? What's the source of these, these temptations and these struggles? Labor against it. Battle against it. You must rule over it. Maybe you've already failed and struggled over the course of your life in this week. And God is offering to you the grace of forgiveness. Will you respond appropriately and come to Him? And flee to His presence. That He might work and move and shape our hearts. What hope do we have to change our own hearts? It's only as God is at work and moving that we have any hope to live and exist in this broken and messed up world. Because just like it happened to Adam and Eve, it's happening to Cain. And you know what? You're no different. I'm no different. This is still the case. We struggle with sin. But what are the implications 
long term if we avoid this. Notice what what happens to Cain and his family line after this. Cain has a, a wife. Um, they bear a son. His name is Enoch. And he, these a couple of uh, you know generations are, are born, and some kids are, are, are come come along. And it mentions this guy Lamech in verse 19. Lamech took two wives. Already, remember what we saw in Genesis 2? This is contrary to God's intention. Cain has fled from the presence of the Lord, and what we're beginning to see is a drift and a shift in those that Cain has relationship and, in fact, his, his family line. Cain's sin and his fleeing from the presence of the Lord don't just affect him. He's connected. All of us connected in these relationships. Look at the implications that it has. Although God is gracious, and we see from Cain's line, people who do great things that reflect God's glory still, or reflect God's image. Uh, there's those who, who dwell in tents and have livestock. They're continuing to, to, to care for creation and, and figure out how to live in this uh, harsh world. There's people who are creative and, and create instruments. The, the, the lyre and the pipe, those who are demonstrating the beauty and creativity of the Lord and the things that they're doing. People who take it, uh, figure out ways to use the provisions in the ground of, of bringing out bronze and metal to take dominion and, and further uh, extend um, out civilization in the world. But look at Lamech. Look at Lamech. Though, if you notice in, the, in your Bible, this is uh, the formatting of this is different because the, in the context of the passage, this is actually a poem. What's the content of this work of art, this song that Lamech has written? Adah and Zoah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Now all of a sudden, it's drifting away. And now Lamech is boasting and he's using art and creativity to reclaim his might and his power and his murder of another person. And he's celebrating it and saying how he is even better than Cain. And if Cain should have been, uh, if anybody was going to try to uh, attack Cain, then I'm, I'm even greater than that. It'll be 77-fold for them. We've drifted so far away from God's presence that now it's not just a, a, a cre- uh, actions of sin, but the celebration and writing songs and art a corruption of these good things that God has given us. You see, in our lives, we're connected in relationships. As we begin to, if we're tempted and we leave the presence of the Lord, it's not just going to affect us. It will affect everyone around you in various ways. In Cain's instance, it affected in great ways. In fact, we see him, Eve's hope at the beginning, I've gotten a man. Will this be the one? To deliver us? You see, in the end, it was no hope. It wasn't going to be through Cain's line. They've strayed so far from the presence of the Lord, his name isn't even mentioned in this section. But notice what happens. The hope is not gone. In 25, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. God has appointed for me another offspring. Remember God's promise of an offspring that would come. Instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So Seth also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of Yahweh. 
call upon the name of Yahweh is to approach Him in worship and praise and dependency. One path for us is to follow the way of Cain, for our lives to more reflect the offspring of the evil one. Remember, that's what we saw in Genesis 3. And to live a life away from the presence of the Lord in complete and total rebellion. And a life chosen to be lived like that will affect others around us in not good ways. But the opposite side of what we see, the way that Seth begins to go, and we'll see this play out some in the next several chapters, Seth pursues God in his presence. He responds to these instructions. And we begin to see Seth and his line worshiping and growing in their dependency upon God. You here as members of this church, you're fleeing the presence of the Lord or fleeing to the presence of the Lord has an effect greater than just on you. The health of this church and the health of all of us here are dependent and connected on how you pursue the Lord. We aren't individualistic. We're corporate. We have these connections. Your health is vital to the health of this body, to the, the message of God's glory going out on this earth. The, this call is for us. Those of you who don't know the Lord, the, the way that it, it's going forward, what Moses is telling us here is you don't want to be like Cain. Disastrous consequences. This is not how your life should be reflected. You don't want to be one who is, who is an offspring of the evil one. You want your life to be more like the one who is the promised one to come. This offspring that Eve is hoping for. As we see through Scripture, the presence of the Lord comes ultimately through Him entering into our world. This promised offspring who would come is Jesus. God enters into our brokenness. He takes on our shame. He dies the penalty and suffers the penalty that we deserve that we might be delivered. This offer for you to, in, to look into your heart is not just so you'll feel worse about yourself and God will beat you up. The offer for you to confess your sin and to bring it before God is not so that He, we talked about this last week, so that He can just punish and backslap you all around. It's because the Lord is looking forward to the satisfaction of the penalty that we deserve through Jesus' death on the cross that God is actually offering us for forgiveness. Forgiveness and life is only found in the presence of the Lord. And who is the Lord? Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. In fact, the way Scripture describes it is Jesus is God with us. The only hope we have for our sin, the only hope we have to live in this broken and messed up world, now what? Is to flee to the presence of the Lord in response to His grace and call upon Jesus to save us, to work in us, to change us, to call upon the name of Yahweh in worship and dependency. That's the hope we have. That's the offer we have. And that hope, that offer still extends. We all still have time to flee to the presence of the Lord and call upon His name and know that He will save us. It's the only way we can live in this world that is ravaged by sin.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You know we struggle with these things. We are afraid to bring up our sin to You. We want to run and we want to hide. I don't want to look at my heart. I don't want to figure out why I'm angry. I just want to blame somebody else. In Your, in your compassion, please do not abandon me. Continue to be at work in my heart. Show me the struggles and issues that I have. In your strength, Holy Spirit, would you work among all of us who are your people to battle sin, to resist. And Jesus, please, please may we see the hope that is found in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.